Well, you can open up in your Bibles. We're going to be over in the book of Genesis, chapter 42. We're looking at faithfulness. In the last couple of weeks, we've been on the topic of selfishness and how selfishness is an enemy of faithfulness. But here's a test for you. This is the selfishness test. See how you do. If the last time you said, I love you, and really meant it, you were looking in a mirror, you might have a problem with self. If your most memorable vacation only required one airline ticket, you might have a problem with self. If you always know more than the people you hire to do a job, you might have a problem with self. If you have come to the conclusion that nobody really knows how to do anything without your advice, you might have a problem with self. If you have already come to the conclusion that this sermon applies to everyone in the room except you, you might have a problem with self. And for all of you who have somehow been able to handle each of these questions without feeling fault in yourself, one more qualifier. If you were born after man's fall in the garden, but before the second coming of Christ, then chances are you might have a problem with self. Don't we all seem to have something that comes up with, a, with selfishness or something that comes up with ourselves? It's just really tough when people take selfishness and blame it on God. And they see them as doing something for God when actually they're being selfish. That gives us some trouble. The Word of God says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And you can't serve two. You're going to serve one master, you're going to serve the other. That's why selfishness is an enemy to faithfulness. Faithfulness and self lessness are on the same path. We've got to get, make sure we get rid of ourselves. We saw in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6 when we started this series off that it talked about, we gave you a number of translations on that. Let me read them for you here. The message translation reads, Lots of people claim to be loyal and loving, but who? But where on earth can you find one? The Amplified, Many a man proclaims his own loving kindness and goodness, but faithful men who can find The CEV says, there are many who say, you can trust me, but can they be trusted? And Young's reads this way, a multitude of men proclaim each his kindness and a man of steadfastness who doth find. Proverbs 25 and verse 14, we read this one as well. Whoever falsely boasts of giving is like clouds and wind without rain. Whoever falsely boasts of giving is like clouds and wind without rain. The New American Center was good with this. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of his gifts falsely. We need to know who we are, what we have to give, and go after it. Thank God that we don't have to be good at everything. That there are some strengths that you have that will produce some weaknesses. And some weaknesses you have that may produce some, some strengths. Know where your strengths are. We are not called to be islands. We are called to have fellowship with each other. And that each other brings things to the table that we need. So thank God for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Even though they have imperfections. Even though they have some things that may sometimes aggravate you or drive you crazy. Don't get selfish. Don't begin to look to yourself. Always look to how you can help other people out. Well, we define faithfulness for you here. And this definition of faithfulness is mostly looking at the contrast to selfishness. But faithfulness, I'll define this way. Adhering to a job description as dictated by another. 
faithfulness is adhering to a job description as dictated by another. That someone else comes up to you and says, this is what I need done. This is how it's to be done. And you go out there and you do it that way. The exact same way that they laid it out. The exact same way they said do this. And you set out to do it that way. Adhering to a job description as dictated by another. You can also define it this way. Accomplishing the will and purpose of another. Accomplishing the will and purpose of another. These are definitions of faithfulness as contrasted to selfishness. Some examples of faithfulness was Jesus in the garden. When he said, not my will, but yours be done. He came to fulfill a job description that was dictated by another, the Father. And even though he may have looked for another way, he said, I'll do it your way. Whatever way that you want to do, whatever way we need to get this done, we'll go ahead and do it. Jesus in the garden was one. Paul in ministry. How many times did Paul despair even of life, get discouraged and say, I'd rather just give up. I'd rather just go off this way. But he didn't. He stayed with it. John the Baptist, his famous words, he must increase and I must decrease. That's not necessarily a, a, a real popular way of going about things. That is a selflessness view. He was selfless in that. I don't need to be exalted. I don't need to be up. I was here to set the stage for Jesus. Jesus is here. I can decrease, but he needs to increase. These are examples of people who were faithful to a job description given by another. Now, self-selfishness, adhering to a job description of my own doing or altering. Adhering to a job description of my own doing or altering. Another way of putting this, accomplishing the will and purpose of my own. Accomplishing the will and purpose of my own. Basically, this is being faithful to myself. The other one is being faithful to whoever gave the job description. If God said do this, you do it that way. Being faithful to myself is contrary, is contrary to being faithful. You cannot be faithful to yourself and be faithful to God. Now, some examples of this was Cain and Abel. When Cain came against Abel, Cain came, came against Abel, we see that he was selfish in this. He had his own agenda. He made up his own agenda. He was angry. He was jealous. All these things were working in him. Moses at the burning bush. He had his own job description. I want to be in the fields. I want to take care of the, the sheep and the goats and so forth. I don't want to go to Egypt. I don't want to deliver Israel. And God said, God said to Moses, I want you to go to, Israel, to uh, Egypt and deliver Israel out of Egypt. He said, I don't want to do that. He has his own job description. He wants to follow his own. That's not a good thing. And God didn't take to it too well. But Moses at the rock. God had a plan. He says, Moses, go to the rock. The first time, he said, strike the rock. He struck the rock. Goes to the rock the second time. God says, speak to the rock. He struck the rock. What did he do? He altered the job description. Now, I made those little notes after mine. The first one was own. That was a, their, uh, their own doing. The second one, that was his own doing. But this one, he altered it. Saul against King Agag. We looked at that not too long ago. When God said, go out there and wipe them all out. And what's he do? He comes back with the best. He's got some sheep going on. And Samuel says to him, what's this bleeding of sheep that I hear? How come you say that you were faithful to what God said? Well, you know, we kept the best of some of the things to come on back and bring back to God the sacrifice 
but you know, we'll give it to God eventually. He altered the job description. B, if you alter the job description, you are not faithful. If you make up your own job description, you are faithful to yourself. You're not faithful to God. But we want to get in that place of being faithful to God. Now, we've looked at selfishness. We looked at faithfulness. But here we're going, we want to give us an example of who to follow. Because we've looked at a lot of people not to follow. We looked at Saul. Don't follow him. That's not a good way to go. We did see Jonathan. Jonathan was a good, good example. But let's take a look at someone who was faithful, who was selfless in the things that he did. And we're going to be reading a lot of scriptures here and just covering it in some detail. You can go back on through with the uh, verses here and you can read them over and get more out of it. But over in verse 42, or chapter 42 and verse 1. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there, that we may live and not die. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. And of course, this takes up where Joseph was sold into slavery. Eventually, he became head over Egypt. He had the, the, the dreams interpretation. And they decided to have the seven years of plenty. They were going to hoard up all that they could. And then after that, they were going to have the seven years of famine. And they would be prepared for it. So Egypt is prepared, but the rest of the world is not. And Joseph's ten brothers and the rest of his family are some of those that are not. Now, how many were born into the house that Joseph was in? Joseph was one among twelve. So they're going to send ten, which means what? Somebody got left behind. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall him. Now, how would you like it? Just think of it this way. You have a family of eleven. And the dad says, I need ten of you to go on down to Egypt to get some food. How come Benjamin's not going? Well, something might happen to him and we just can't, we can't afford to lose Benjamin. What is the first thought that comes into your mind? I'm expendable? <laughs> What's up with this? Now, how many of you know if you didn't feel that there was a favorite child at home before that, you do feel it now? But they basically just said, oh, okay, we'll go then. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was said, and it was he who said to the people, or some say sold to the people of the land, and Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, Where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Now, it's been a number of years since Joseph has been sold. He was a teenager somewhere around there when he was sold. And it's been you know, 30, 40 some years. He's been over there in the land of Egypt. And, and people change and you don't quite look the same. But do notice that Joseph instantly recognizes the brothers, but the brothers don't recognize Joseph. Now, there's a couple of reasons for this. First off, the brothers are not looking for Joseph. And secondly, they don't expect him here if they were looking for him. This is the ruler of Egypt. Certainly, Joseph is not going to be that. Now, is Joseph expecting to see his brothers? What was the dream that Joseph had? That his mother, his father, and his brothers would come and bow down. 
And so all these years, he's remembered this dream all these years, but all these years, nothing. he's never been in that place for that to happen. Now he is ruler of Egypt. If you are ruler of Egypt, you had a word from God that said your mother and brothers would come and bow down to you. What are you looking for? They're, they're coming sooner or later. Every day you get up, you're looking around. Why do you think Joseph is doing all the selling? Well, I mean, he's a, he's a good uh, delegator of this sort of stuff. Why does he sell to everybody? They're coming soon. They're coming soon. And when they come, I'm going to see them. He's preparing for this. So he is looking for the brothers. And he finds out there's a group of ten brothers outside. Ten brothers? Hmm. Where'd they come from? And they tell him where they come Oh, ten brothers from the land of Canaan. Hmm. So he's coming on in. He's expecting this. But he's been in, in rulership for seven years during the, the years of, of all the abundance and now two years in famine. That makes a total of nine years. Nine, now, he's been waiting for the promise of God for a lot longer than that. I'm sure he had no trouble waiting nine years to see his brothers. He knows they're not coming during the first seven. But after the first seven are passed, he's looking for them. I'm sure. But you get to heaven and find out for yourself. You can ask him. But he'll tell you Steve was right. I was looking for him. <laughs> so he's looking for him. So he's so this whole time he is there, he is looking for him coming in. What do you think? If you have a relationship with God that Joseph has, what do you think you're doing? God, what do you want me to do? When I see him, how do you want me to respond? Should I kill him? <laughs> Should I put him in a dungeon? Should I sell him into slavery? What should I do? So see, there's a whole lot of prep here before this that we are not aware of, that I am absolutely positive went on. Because Joseph does not forget dreams. He constantly reminded everyone else of his dream. And I'm sure that while he was in captivity, he come, he reminded himself, God, you said, this is what you, I didn't put this, as, this wasn't my dream, this is your dream, you gave it to me. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Verse 9. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. But he said to them, No, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And he said, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of a man of the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, it is as I spoke to you, saying, you are spies. In this manner, you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison for three days. <laughs> I'm sure there was some talking going on during those three days. Then Joseph said to them, the third day, do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be conf confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses and bring your youngest brother to me so the words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. 
And they said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, the distress has come upon us. Then Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy? And you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. Isn't that always fun? When you can know what the language is that someone else is speaking, but you speak through an interpreter so they don't know that you know. And then every time they're saying stuff, you get to hear exactly what's being said. And he turned himself away from them and wept. And then he returned to them again and talked with them. And he took Simon from them and bound him before their eyes. So he changed the plan a little bit. He said, I'm just going to keep one of me. The rest can get to going home. But if you want more grain, or if you want to get Simon back, you've got to bring back the younger brother. Now, Joseph knows his father. What does he know about Benjamin? He knows that if Joseph is gone, you don't have to tell Joseph how his father is treating Benjamin. He knows how his father is treating Benjamin. All the favoritism that they both got and Joseph got the most of is now being poured upon Benjamin. So he knows this must drive them crazy. If it bothered them that my father favored me the way he did, oh, the way that they're favoring him. And the fact that Benjamin stayed home, he knows what's going on. He is not ignorant of this. He knows what's going on. And he gets to hear some of the talk about what was going on between them. Maybe some stuff he didn't know about before. Verse 25, Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money. And there it was in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, My money has been restored. And there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them and they were afraid, saying to one another, Why is this? What is this that God has done to us? How could God Give us our money back. How dare he do this? God went and gave us our money back. Oh, this is awful. This is terrible. How many of you are thinking that? If you went out there and bought a new car and paid cash for it, you wrote a check and the check was returned to you in the mail. We don't need it. Keep the car. How many of you are saying, Oh, God. Why did you do this to me? This is horrible. Most people don't respond this way, do they? Most people respond a little bit differently. They usually jump up and down and are glad. But you see, these are guilt-ridden people. Guilt-ridden people are fearful people. Understand that. If you have fear in your life, you probably have some guilt somewhere about something. Guiltless people are fearless. They are fearless. But these folks are not that way. Then they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan and told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man who was lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies in the country. But we said to him, We are honest men and we are not spies, but we are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more and the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. And the man 
The Lord of the country said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your household and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me so I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. And I will grant your brother to you that you may trade in the land. And it happened as they emptied their sacks and surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simon is no more. But Simon's still alive. <laughs> but he's written it off. Nope, nope, nope. i got to send Benjamin to get Simon. He's, he's done. Sorry. He's dead. Gone. Whoa, it's Simon. And you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me. Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands. And I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him among the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. So Reuben stood up and Reuben said, All right, I will I will take responsibility. And his father rejects it. Because he does not have the respect for Reuben that he has for some of the other sons. And you'll find this out later on in life if you want to jump on ahead and you find out the blessing that he pours out on all the brothers. You will see what he says about Reuben and understand some of why he doesn't grant this. Now, the verse, five, verse 1, 43. Now, the famine was severe in the land and it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. In other words, go on back, just get a little bit. Maybe we can get under the radar. Maybe nobody will notice. But Judas spoke to him saying, The man solemnly warned us saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. We're not making this trip unless you send them. So Judas is strong with this. And Israel said, Why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you still had another brother? Why did you just be quiet about it? you find out why. But they said, The man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, Is your father still alive? We didn't hear that before, did we? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words, Could we possibly have known that he would say, Bring your brother down? So the reason they got into all the detail of their family is because Joseph was asking them very pointed questions. There's ten of you here. Is there anyone else in the family? Do you have another brother? And they, the way they phrased it is, he said, do you have another brother? He didn't say, do you have other brothers? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me. This is exactly what Reuben said, isn't it? And we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. Now right now, when you get into the blessings that are down the road, the Judah is the fourth born and he's the first one who gets a positive blessing. So apparently he's still in good standing with that. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. And the father of Israel said to them, If it must be so, 
Then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man. A little a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Apparently, they weren't as rare as green. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of the sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise, go back to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your older brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So he basically says, if I lose him, I lose him. But if, not, if I stay here and do this, we're going to lose everybody anyway. So, all right, go ahead and do it. Just head on down there and, and take care of it. And the whole time these guys are gone, what do you think his dad's doing? Thinking about him every day. Dear God, watch over those sons. Watch over the, be, be watchful over them. What do you think he was doing the first time they went? Oh, did they leave last week? That's why it's been so quiet around here. Ah, I forgot I sent them out on that mission. But Benjamin with them now. Whole different story here. Verse 15. So the men took the present Benjamin. They took double money in their hand and arose and went down to Egypt. And they stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready, for these men will dine with me at noon. Then the men did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, It is because of the money which was returned in our sack the first time that we are brought in, so that he may make a case against us and seize us to take us as slaves with our donkeys. Now see, people, guilt-ridden people, all you got to do is change things in their lives and all kinds of stuff comes out. And so Joseph doesn't tell them why he's inviting them into the house, though he tells the servant, they're going to eat with me. That's why I want you to take them over to the house. But he doesn't tell them. They're just taken over to the house. And they don't know why. Guilty people always come up with the worst scenario. And it usually always is bad for them. That's how you can tell guilty people too, by the way. And I'm, don't, don't sit there and point the finger at them. Oh, you're a guilty person. Help them out with it. Understand, they can get past all that. When they drew near to the steward of the house, of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. But it happened when we came to our encampment that we opened our sacks and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it back in our hand and we are brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. But he said, Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Well, that has to be a relief. The whole time they're thinking about this, they're going to blame us for having the money. They're going to blame us for not paying. They're going to blame us somehow. So the man brought the, the men into Joseph's house and gave them water and they washed their feet and he gave their donkeys feed and they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon before they heard that they would eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand in the house and bowed down before him to the earth. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they answered, Your servant our father is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. Then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste 
and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out and he restrained himself and said, serve the bread. So they set him a place by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who wait with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews for that is an abomination, Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to the birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the young men looked in astonishment at one another. How does he know? How does he know where the birth rank is amongst all 11 of us? How does he know where to seat us on these tables? He's an Egyptian. He doesn't know our ways. How does he know this? And he took servings to them, to them from before him. But Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. So basically what he's saying is, Benjamin's been favored at home and I'm going to favor him here. And they're not going to know why. So you got this one younger brother and it's always getting favoritism at home. He gets the easiest jobs or no jobs at all. He gets the best food and he gets the best clothes. And then you come all the way down to Egypt to strangers and he gets favoritism too. How many of you are now mad at him? I mean, if you weren't mad at him before, you're mad at him now. This is ridiculous. Oh. I mean, if, if there was an ounce of jealousy left in you, this would bring it out, wouldn't it? Oh, he is, he is ready. Well, then they put up this little scheme. We're going to skip ahead here a little bit. You can always go back and read this again later on. But here Joseph says, all right, I want you to do this. I want you to you know, give them the grain and then take the money that they, they gave you for purchase and put it back in their sacks and then take my silver cup and put it in the youngest guy's sack. And so the servants go out there and they do all this and they set it all up just as Joseph says. And then the folks head on out. Now, he doesn't wait for them to come to the first encampment to find this out. He catches up with them. He sends the people on out. Go out there and get them. And they, so they run on up there and they catch them. And they say, one of you stole the master's cup. And they're all, ah, no way. You guys were so kind to us. Don't accuse us of this. No one stole anybody's cup. Nah, no, nah, but we know you stole somebody's, you stole Joseph's cup. And so they are so convinced that they did not steal the cup. That they say, Look, whoever has the cup, you can, uh, you can kill him. And you can make all the rest of us servants. That's what they say. So they go on through and Joseph has it all set up. Joseph is a detailed person. So he tells the people, you start with the oldest. That's this one. And then you move over to this one. And so you start with the oldest and you go out, work your way all the way on down. And nobody can touch the stuff because, you know, they're being watched. Because if they get into their stuff early, oh, wait a minute, what are you doing? You all leave your stuff alone. You're not going to go in there and get the cup out and hide it. Mm -mm. So they get the oldest one and they look at his stuff. No cup. All right. Do that. Get to the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, all the way on down. And you know they're feeling more confident all the way on down. And so finally get to the last one. And surely Benjamin doesn't need to steal the cup because Benjamin has everything he wants. Anything he asks for, he gets. And so they're feeling pretty good at this. And all of a sudden, they open up the sack and there's the cup in Benjamin's sack. Man, they know instantly we are in trouble. We are in really bad trouble. 
Verse 18. Then Judah came near to him and said, this is to Joseph because they made their way on back. Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children. And his father loves him. Isn't that neat? They can, his father loves him. His father has a special love for him. Doesn't have for the rest of us, but his father really loves this guy. Then he said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And he said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. So it was when he went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down, for we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. Are you, are you watching how they're di- dictating this story? They're saying exactly as it seems from their father's standpoint. Now, what are you thinking if you're Joseph? <laughs> you know that isn't the story. But if you take this one also from me and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair, my sorrow to the grave. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees his lad is not with us that he will die. So your servant will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil that will come upon my father. Is this a change, man? Before they look for opportunity to kill the favorite. Now they are seeking an opportunity to save him. Verse 40, uh, chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not restrain himself because before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out for me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? Brothers, brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. And then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, this isn't in the in the uh, narration. But what language do you think he's speaking? He's speaking their language. We don't have an interpreter here anymore. Everyone was put out of the room. Verse 5. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And He has made me a father to Pharaoh, the Lord of all His house and the ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. 
Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me, you and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. For there are still five years of famine. And behold your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin. See that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So that you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Now, you really see the, the heart of Joseph in all this. This is all emotion that Joseph is holding back. How many of you, if your brothers had sold you into slavery and it had been all these years, how many of you are counting the days? You're thinking about that vision. They will bow down before me. And when they do, I'll chop their heads off. Right? You think of something like that? Well, I'll throw them in prison. Or I'll give them a taste of what it's like to be a slave like I had a taste for all this time. How many of you are mulling over this and you could actually envision, oh, that would give me some comfort. (laughs) I could feel a little bit better being in all that slavery all this time thinking about this. But he doesn't do that. He seeks after God as to what shall we do? And God shares him a plan. And he says, your brothers need something from you. I'm sure if we were in that position, we would probably say, God, I really don't care if they need anything from me. <laughs> but that's not Joseph. Joseph doesn't say this. Joseph says, what do they need? And God says, they need to overcome their past. And only you can help them with that. And Joseph says, what's the plan? And Joseph gets the plan from God. And the reason that you can tell that Joseph is pulling off a plan that is not his own is simply because Several times throughout the executing of this, he has to go away to compose himself because he wants to do something different. He kept saying how he wanted to reveal himself to his brothers. But it wasn't time yet. And so he would go into his chamber one time and he wept. Another time he turned so they wouldn't see him. He spoke with them through an interpreter. But everything on the inside of him is yearning to say, I am Joseph. I am Joseph. Don't worry about it. I'm okay with what you did. Because he is okay with what they did. He's fine. He understands he's in this place because they sold him into slavery. Now, God could have gotten him there in a whole other way. We know that. God would have pulled it off. But this is how he did it. And Joseph is, I'm fine. This is all right. He's not harboring any bitterness at all. But he knows that from this point on, as it has been, they'll never know as brothers. Would we do it again? Would we do it again? And so what he did was he gave him the opportunity. When Benjamin was left at home, you must bring him on by. And once he was there, he set him up so that Benjamin would be caught with the treasure. And he lavished upon Benjamin more than he lavished upon them when he gave gifts to stir up any jealousy that might still be there. And when the cup was found with Benjamin, then he could tell what the heart of his brothers was. And Judah rose up, the one who became surety for him. And he says, no, no, tell you what, 
You can keep me. And let him go because his father needs him. His father needs him far more than he needs me. You can keep me. Make me a slave. Do whatever you want to. I'm fine with that. But just let him go with his brothers. And I'll stay here. And I will bear the punishment of what he did. And that's all Joseph needed to see. Because once he saw that, then he said, you guys know that from this point on, you have overcome your past. You have proven yourself to yourselves. And you have overcome your past. You have moved into the area of selflessness. You are no longer selfish. You're no longer looking at what you need or what you're going to get. But you have moved out of that. And I'll tell you one of the greatest examples of self, selflessness here is Joseph. Because Joseph all the while wants to do something different than what he does. He follows a job description that is contrary to the one he would like to do. And God says, this is how you're going to do it. You're going to set Benjamin up. You're going to get him to bring him down. And you're going to set Benjamin up. And you're going to let them expose who they are to themselves. And he says, all right, I'll do it. And he holds to it. Remember, faithfulness, adhering to a job description as dictated by another. Accomplishing the will and the purpose of another. God needed the brothers of Joseph to be over this, to be past it. He needed them to be that way. And Joseph, you can restore it. You can bring them to that place. How many of us would like to, to bask in the thing? You all sold me into slavery. Now you're going to pay. No, he didn't do that. How do we know that Joseph is not just being selfish? Simply because he had many an opportunity to act selfishly, to act and do what he wanted to do. And he did what God told him to do. To stay faithful to God, we must do four things. We wrote these four things down here for you. To stay faithful to God, we must know what God said. You've got to know what God said. If you do not know what God said, you cannot be faithful to it. You must study the Word of God. You must hear what the words of God are. You must know it. Not know about it, but you must know it. There are too many people who know about Jesus being their healer, but they don't know what Jesus actually said about it. They don't know what the Word promises about it, but they know that Jesus is yeah, he's, he's the healer. We're, we're reading from all that sort of stuff, and, and they go on with that. No, you don't really know it yet. Know it. Know what God said. Get into the Word of God and dig into it. And know what He said. And don't be content with knowing anything else. Remind yourself continually. Once you know it, remind yourself. Find a way to remind yourself of what God said. Find a way to do it. How can I remind myself more? What can I do? Write things on the refrigerator? Have things pop up on your computer screen? Whatever you need to do, but find a way to remind yourself of what God said. Know it. If you are going to be faithful on your job and your boss says, I want you to do this this way, you find a way to remind yourself, I need to do this in this way. So if God says, I want you to do this, do it exactly as He said. So remind yourself continually. Know what God said and remind yourself continually. Adhere to all His words. Adhere to every one of them. Whatever He said to do, adhere to it. Father, I will, I will do that. 
I will not let that go. I will do what you said. I will adhere to it. If he said, do not move to the right hand or to the left hand, then do not move to the right hand or to the left hand. If he said, do this, then you do that. If he said, don't do this, then you don't do that. And you will be faithful. Know what God said. Remind yourself continually. Adhere to all his words and guard against unauthorized changes. Guard against unauthorized changes. Let's put this in the modern day vernacular. Why do you all have spyware software on your computer? Antivirus software on your computer? To guard against unauthorized changes. Because you know that some of these things can get in there and they make your computer do what it wasn't supposed to do. Something that benefits someone else, but not you. A virus on your computer, if it benefited you, wouldn't you want them? The problem with the virus is it benefits someone else, or it does someone else's bidding, or it does someone else's work. The problem with spyware is it does someone else's bidding, it does someone else's work. It doesn't do what you want. And so you put stuff on there to guard against it. Now there's all kinds of programs out there that you can get to guard against it and, and to work to take this stuff off. Guard against unauthorized changes because there are many who will come along and begin to sow things in your mind begin to sow things into your heart begin to put things in there and begin to sow unauthorized changes because a virus wants to come along and they want to drop something down on the inside and let that virus begin to work its way on through and do all this different stuff now some of you don't know all the bad stuff that's out there how many of you know what the difference between a trojan and a worm is between a worm and a virus. Between a virus and a spyware. Between spyware and adware. But they're all, we don't just come up with those terms. They're all different terms for different things. Most people haven't a clue what a computer worm is. What, what in the world is a worm? How do you get a worm on there? Or a Trojan. We don't know what these things are. And we don't know what they're out there to do. And, I just know that they're bad. But if you knew what they're out there to do, you would guard against it even more. Guard against unauthorized changes. The devil has a lot of these things already in place. He has antiviruses, or uh, he has viruses all the way around. He has worms. He has Trojans. He has spyware. He's adware. And it's all around. And it's trying to get itself implanted in you so that you'll do something different. When Eve sinned in the garden, did she not alter what was said? Did Satan not just get in there and alter the job description? What was her job description? It was a pretty simple job description. It wasn't hard. Keep the garden. Don't eat from the middle tree. I mean, can you get much simpler than that? Keep the garden. Don't eat from the middle tree. You got two things to remember. Keep the garden. Don't eat from the middle tree. That's all you got to do. And she messed it up. So did Adam. They both did. They messed it up. Two things to remember. And what happened? Well, Satan gets in there and he just plants that little thought. He gets that little virus inside. And it begins to corrupt some of the files in their brain. They're not quite working the way that they were before. 
Guard against unauthorized changes. The way that you know, the way that you guard against it, is to know the Word of God. To have believers that are around you that will help you with that. That will exhort you when you need exhortation. Get around other people. Some of the enemies to faithfulness. We, this is, I just put some. This is not all. This is just some. This is some of the ones we looked at in this story. First off, one of the enemies of faithfulness is fear. You become fearful. You become afraid you're going to lose something, not have something, not get something you deserve. Fear is an enemy to faithfulness. You must get rid of fear. In order to get rid of fear, you've got to get rid of guilt. Some other things, but that's certainly one of them. Fear. Anger. Anger is an enemy to faithfulness. Because if I get angry, generally, most people that are angry are angry because something was done to me. Which is a selfish point of view. Now, Jesus got angry because of what people did to the Father. You can get angry and do not sin, as the Word of God says. But you, you're going to get angry at people because what they did to you, that's probably not going to be good. That's going to move you in the area of selfishness. Don't have that kind of anger going on. Jealousy. I want what someone else has. I want this thing over here. If the brothers had jealousy towards Benjamin, as they had jealousy towards Joseph, it was going to be an enemy to being faithful to God. Because they could simply say, oh, if you want to take Benjamin and kill him, all right, we'll just tell Dad. You know, We tried. We gave it a good shot, Dad, but Benjamin stole something. I don't know why he did that. You give him so much stuff. But he went out there and stole something. Jealousy could have done that. Self-interest is an enemy to faithfulness. Because too often, I don't want to do that. I don't like that. I don't want to be there. I don't want to do this way. Self-interest. Self-interest, folks, is an enemy to faithfulness. If you continue to hold on to self-interest, you will be faithful to yourself. You cannot serve two masters, as we looked at in the beginning, Matthew 6. You cannot serve two masters. You'll either serve one and hate, uh, despise the other, love one, hate the other, whatever it is going to be. It's not going to work. You can't serve two. So the only way to become faithful is to completely get rid of self. It is the only way. You must get completely get rid of self. If you can completely get rid of self, then you can be on the road to being faithful. And remember the verses we've been looking at, uh, reviewing again the last couple of weeks? Many people think they are faithful. We read it here in the beginning in Proverbs. Many people think they are faithful, but the Lord says they are rare. He says they're rare. There really aren't that many faithful people, but everybody thinks they are because people have a hard time discerning between being faithful to self and being faithful to God. But we must be faithful to God. He is the one. We are faithful to self. We have altered the plan. We have allowed something to come on in. We have not guarded the truth as we know it. But know what God has said. Remind yourself. Find a way to remind yourself. Adhere to it with everything in you. And guard it. Don't let it become changed in an unauthorized manner. Don't do it. Joseph is one of the most phenomenal examples of a selfless person. He didn't always start out that way. But he sure got himself to be that place. He was faithful. Whatever situation he was in, they said he was so faithful. So faithful. Even in prison, they gave him charge of the whole prison. As a slave, he had charge of the whole house. 
because he was faithful. Because he got rid of everything about self. And he took whatever job description was given to him and he did it as they wanted it done. Folks, we're here to serve God. You're here to do what He says, as He says, to get it done. Not as we say. Stop getting up there and giving God instructions as to how He ought to be expecting this from you and not expecting that from you. How many times have you had a prayer? Oh, God, I'd like to do that, but it's just so hard. <laughs> You're giving yourself reason for not being so faithful. God wants us to be faithful. Oh, He's looking forward to it. But we've got to get rid of everything to do with self. We spent about four weeks on the selfishness issue. I'm going to go on and work, look at some other areas after this. Hopefully you've got enough uh, food on that. You can meditate on it on your own. Check out some more things in the Word of God. But get rid of selfishness. Oh, it comes in and it eats up relationships. It eats up families. It destroys things. Because people are out looking for themselves. God never called us to be selfish. He wants us to be givers. Give of yourself. You'll find out people will give right back to you. Oh, it'll be good. God will make sure that someone around them, they'll find a way to get that back to you. Be, be faithful to God. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the things we can learn in your word that we desire to be faithful people. In order to get there, we must get rid of everything that has to do with selfishness. We cannot serve ourselves and serve you. We must get rid of serving self. We must get rid of all these kind of things. Just go after you. If you say to do it, we'll say okay. We don't sit there and question it. If you say continue on, we say okay. We don't sit there and say, oh, but it's so hard. I don't know if I can. I understand that if you say to do it, we can get it done. Because you would not tell us to do something we could not do. We thank you for the help that you give us in every area of our life that we can be a selfless husband, a selfless wife, selfless children, selfless church members, selfless brothers and sisters, selfless neighbors, selfless, selfless co-workers and employees. We're not in here for what I get for myself. I'm in here to fulfill the desires, the job description given to me by another. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us in that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.